I'm an absolutely public sector guy, so I'm convinced that public sector needs to work. And we have a purpose and the responsibility that our citizens can always rely on a public sector and that it's working efficiently and effective. You need always to be disciplined, you need to have a clear North Star where you have to head and you need to be efficient and effective in terms of money, otherwise you will fail. I'm quite impatient and this is something I will never overcome because I want to get things done. absolute convinced to empower people and if the team runs with you, you can run anywhere. This is here on TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Sven Egidi, who is the CIO and CTO of the Federal Foreign Office of Germany. A very warm welcome, Sven. Thanks a lot, Hendrik. Sven, you have three academic degrees, one in law, one in uh, business uh, IT systems, and uh, you have a PhD in social sciences. Uh, besides that, you are the chairman of Next, which is a nonprofit um, that works on the digital transformation of uh, civil service. So many things to talk about, uh, Sven, but tell us a little bit more about yourself, what's your background, and how did you arrive in this position today as CIO, CTO in the uh, foreign office? Um. I'm basically a public sector guy, I would mention myself, and um, let's say this bunch of degrees just happened uh, to me as during uh, all my professional lifetime. I just uh, found out there is something missing, I need to add to be a good project manager, to be a good manager, to, at, at, from today's perspective, to become a good CIO. So um, it was quite, uh, let's say, an organic uh, development. Mm -hmm. and. Um, it helped me a lot. I was working uh, in several ministries, so the Ministry of Finance, of Defense, of Interior, and um, I had one station at Euratom. Um, it's the uh, joint undertaking fusion for energy for the development of ITER. Mm -hmm. And um, so it just happened somehow, but uh, from an um, ex post perspective, it was quite a well-structured way. <laughs> So you worked on uh, for several years in the in the nuclear fusion uh, program as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Ah yes, for sure. It's um, it was a, a quite amazing uh, experience as we were working a lot with um, on one hand with all the European colleagues, mm -hmm. and it was an international project with all the other international contributors and. Um, for me, it was always a goal to give something back to Europe, as um, I'm a convinced uh, European uh, citizen. Mm -hmm. So, um, and also believing a bit in, let's say, bringing science into technological life. What can you do better than fusion or rocket science? Yeah. So, rocket science was out. I had to decide for fusion. So, one day we will get energy from nuclear fusion. Then, I hope so. Um, personally, I'm convinced, but uh, let's say. Um, the real experts are for sure the fusion scientists, so I'm just a little technical contributor to this uh, big uh, project. And so today you work at the Federal Foreign Office uh, here in Germany. Can you tell us a little bit what's the function, what's the role of the uh, Foreign Office? Sure. 
The uh, Foreign Office uh, does what usually all foreign offices worldwide do. So um, it's in charge of doing all diplomatic issues for the Bundesregierung, Bundesregierung and all the uh, consular uh, administrative things that uh, German citizens uh, need abroad. Yeah. And um, the Foreign Office um, is um, a worldwide organization with around uh, 240 duty stations uh, with different diplomatic uh, state and levels. Mm -hmm. And um, we have around uh, 13,000 um, colleagues uh, worldwide distributed, mm -hmm. but also sets a bit the pace for a CIO on with which problems we have to deal. Okay, so that must be interesting. You have 240 stations around the globe, 13,000 people to service. Quite an interesting role, I can imagine. Yes, it does not get boring, to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> now I want to discuss two different uh, projects uh, with you, uh, where you've uh, uh, worked on. And the first one is really a very, very interesting story, I would say. It's the, it's the COVID repatriation program that you've implemented here in, uh, in, in uh, 2020. In March 2020, COVID hit Germany like uh, all the other countries. Tell us a little bit, what was the situation, what was the issue, and how did you uh, approach it? Mm -hmm. Yes, I remember it like yesterday, and it was uh, bringing me into some difficult situations, and um, the whole team, uh, all the colleagues around the world for sure. Mm -hmm. So, um, at the 16th March uh, 2020, um, the Bundesregierung decided to start a repatriation program as all the air traffic was down, and we had stranded uh, citizens worldwide uh, that were in distress, that needed to, that wanted to go back home. And um, so you had more than 200,000 people, Germans around the globe, that wanted to return back to the Heimat, right? Yes, we did not know the exact number uh, when we started the program, how many citizens we have to bring back, but. Um, we uh, now know the exact number, so it's 240,000 that we brought back in five weeks. And um, our problem was um, we had a system in place at the beginning called Elephant. That uh, was a system where uh, German citizens uh, can register themselves um, just in case that there is a small crisis in one country or something like this. And in this case, we have basically an address list. Um, from an IT perspective. Um, it was never designed that 240,000 persons would just access it at one time. So um, the system collapsed within one hour uh, after a DDoS attack. That was basically what users uh, did uh, to the systems. And um, there was a lot of distress that was visible to us as a team. As we, uh, in Twitter and all the social uh, media channels, you could see the people were really, really in urge, in need, and uh, we were responsible for a system. So it was quite a dramatic situation. And uh, we immediately set up an ICT crisis reaction uh, team mm -hmm. that was working through the whole night in Bonn and Pretoria to get all the system solved, uh, all the system uh, run stable again and the yep. problem solved. And um, we put 600% uh, additional compute power in the system. We did a critical code uh, review during the night. In the morning, sun was rising over Berlin. We said, oh, fine, now let's start Elephant again. We started it again and it immediately collapsed again. Okay. So that was a big crisis. 100,000 of people needing to use the system to register themselves, to 
to, go, to get back home and your system, or the, the system, elephant system, didn't work, tried to revive it and still didn't work. Yes. So we did the last effort um, and said to the team, you have six hours left. Uh, in six hours, we will make a management decision uh, because they were convinced we can do something. And to be honest, um, I have a really great team. So I said, okay, if my team tells me uh, in six hours, let's give it a last try. Um, it might run. Uh, we did a management decision that yes, okay, it might work. So it would, this would be better than any other options if we can solve it in yeah. six hours. After six hours, uh, we had the same uh, situation again. So uh, we took the hard decision and said, okay, it will not work. We will not uh, bring it back on a stable mode again. So we need another system to be created by us and to be developed during a situation where 240,000 people want to get home. So I contacted uh, the head of the crisis reaction center um, and uh, talked uh, to him or discussed with him my plan um, that we wanted to create a new system within 24 hours uh, just to solve his problem. Um, let's put it in this way, he was not quite absolutely convinced that this might work. So, so your plan B was, I'm going to develop a system within 24 hours that can do this, the duty, the service that needs to be done. And that was, of course, a hard story to, uh, to sell, I can imagine, yes. Yes, it was a hard story to uh, sell. And uh, to be honest, uh, it was a risky situation. And uh, I knew we were taking a risk here. Yeah. Um, so to mitigate the risk, for sure, uh, we set some parameters. Uh, first, we um, got the uh, key customers, the head of crisis reaction center, uh, into, let's say, a buy-in. So he contributed with one person that uh, would uh, be our uh, product owner during this night. Yeah. Um, then we uh, contacted our strategic business partners. As it was clear from the beginning, this is something you cannot do alone. You need to do it in a team and with strong industry partners. Um, in this specific case, I contacted SAP and uh, asked SAP uh, to make a decision within one hour, make or break, uh, to go with us during this uh, project or to not do it. And uh, after one hour, they called back. Uh, so the CTO of SAP said it's a project where I see the absolute need, why we need IT, and uh, it's a it's a project where we want to help. So I contribute my personal uh, persons who are working directly in, near to me mm -hmm. to this project. And uh, he added 40 persons worldwide. Um, he needed one hour to, uh, let's say, <laughs> uh, get them back on the desk. That it was uh, not planned so far. And we started at uh, 5 o'clock, 5 p.m. Mm -hmm with the system kick off and um, we put quite an agile project management behind uh, with two hour sprints. Two hour sprints. Two hour sprints and uh, during the next 24 hours and um, we were a team of three persons within the foreign office that was doing the management. So we needed the product owner, we needed uh, our project team leader, Carsten Köhler, quite an amazing, amazing guy who was really knowing what to do and which decisions to take so that the system would finally work. Yeah. And uh, myself for, let's say, some uh, decisions that are needed to be done on a management level. And at the morning, uh, technically the system was running. Mm -hmm. 
So in one night, a completely new system was built in sprints of two hours uh, with a team of 40 people around the globe of, of, uh, of, of the partner that implemented this well. Yes. And then we took the, uh, the exact identical amount of time just to do all the testing, to make all the security checks, to deal with the data protection, because it was very important for us that if we would hit the red button, get the system running, that it had to be running, yeah. as I gave my word to the head of the crisis reaction center, it will run. Eh? Yeah. So um, we were under real stress mm -hmm. and we wanted that the system was running. Yeah. And uh, it had to be done already also security checks, data protection, as we had 240,000 persons out there who needed the system. Yeah. So this was very important for us to serve the citizens. And uh, it was clear to us that they would not uh, be Let's say it would be not a good signal that again they would not be able to register. Yeah. So we needed this problem to be solved. Um, and after we did all the rigid testing, um, after 23 hours the system was up and running. Mm -hmm. And um, we could not solve all the, uh, let's say, requirements. Uh, so we did an MVP, classical uh, minimum viable product, yeah. and um, we did not uh, dismantle the team. Mm -hmm. So afterwards we um, just uh, did, let's say, in the next weeks, all the little bits and pieces to make the system nice, usable, user-centric. Yep. But it was running after 23 hours. Okay, so that was one of the longest nights of your life, I can imagine, then. Uh... It was quite short. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> one of the shortest nights of your life. It was very thrilling, and, uh, but it was worth the investment. And uh, the best thing was the team that was working on elephants the night before was now, let's say, back in action, they had slept the night through, so they were able to do a lot of the testing and um, it was quite an organic, uh, let's say, working together. So it was, from a team experience point of view, yeah. excellent. But okay. uh, <laughs> well, What were the major lessons learned? Because, I mean, the crisis situation brings out the best and the worst in people. And so you, you and your team reacted very quickly. You had a vision to, we need something, to build something from scratch in 24 hours and you delivered. What was the, um, the, the major lessons learned? The major lessons learned um, are quite a handful. So one thing was uh, we set up um, one or two years ago, so over a period of one or two years, um, an architectural framework. We had a, a building plan for the next five years that we are just, uh, let's say, redoing every year, so um, putting uh, it in an actual level. Um, so for the situation, we had exact boundaries what we could do. We were thinking about putting cloud technology on a public cloud level for specific things in our system during the next one to two years. Uh, for this reason, we were able just to decide quickly, even if it sounded very, very risky, it was not so risky because it was clear, hey, we had this plan anyway, we just were putting things up front. So we front-loaded our schedule in a massive way. <laughs> the second thing um, that we learned uh, was that getting our teams, I'm, uh, I'm absolute, uh, let's say, I'm convinced to empower people to work on their own and uh, within boundaries or set goals um, 
And so you have a motivated team. So we had a real motivated team for all these issues to be solved. And nobody was, let's say, frustrated over an edge that it was not working. We have a clear uh, culture that things might, may not work, then you have to redo and retry again. And it's not a personal fault of anyone. Uh, it's just things happen if you are in engineering business. Yeah. So this was another uh, lessons learned. And um, what was uh, quite uh, something that has changed in organization, we wanted to be more agile, now we are more agile as uh, after this experience, uh, let's say, some persons who were a bit more uh, hesitating to do it this way, it's okay. Yeah. It's even better to do it as we have, uh, let's say, a clear, a clear pathway um, and we are not, let's say, discussing things that need not to be discussed. Yeah. I mean, sometimes the, a crisis is the best thing to, to do a culture change, to, yes. to, to make decisions. Uh, I mean, decisions that then normally take months and months are then taken in, in minutes. But, uh, so to speak. So, um, so this, I mean, this is, is a once-in-a-lifetime uh, pro program, I can imagine, no? Yes, I think, I hope it's a once-in-a-lifetime program. Uh, let's say if we have to do it again, for sure, we would have to aim to do it a bit quicker than 23 hours, as we have already trained. But <laughs> no, it's um, especially as we had, uh, let's say, the environment decision, or the environmental, uh, the environment in which we had to do the project. Mm -hmm. It wasn't only this project. As in any other uh, IT organizations, there was a lot to do uh, during this time as people yeah. needed more laptops, more bandwidth, etc. pp. So it was one of a lot of problems, yeah. or one of many problems. So um, I think um, it was uh, a good thing to do, and we are prepared to do it again. The best thing on it is that uh, if we have to uh, build up such a SWOT project team. Um, I think we have now a culture uh, to do it within the IT department, but even more important with uh, our clients and customers on the diplomatic side. As I know now, we can trust IT. If they say we can put it in the system in place in 24 hours, it's okay. Um, and uh, it's not a joke, they will do it and we have also to work the night through, but the problem is solved. Yeah, but next time they come to you and they say, oh, I have this, I need that system, please do it in 24 hours, right? <laughs> uh, let's put it this way. Uh, we have uh, increased our uh, speed in uh, putting system in place as we are now working uh, agile. Yeah. But um, it's, uh, let's say, a system that is quite organic. So, um, it, as you said, uh, crisis is facilitating things. It's a cataclysm. So we had, um, we have now a much better team spirit uh, with the overall organization. So if you are if you are doing digitalization in business, um, anybody knows what to do. Uh, we all have, uh, let's say, clear set goals. We have a clear set framework. We have clear responsibilities. And this is quite, let's say, the effect that I like most on uh, this project. And in this uh, repatriation uh, program and, and putting in this, this uh, platform in 24 hours, what were the end results? Were uh, all the people were brought uh, back home? Uh, what's the, what was the, the business result of, uh, of the project, let's say? The, business were, uh, the results were quite amazing. Uh, as we brought back 240,000 uh, persons worldwide back to Germany within five weeks. Mm -hmm. um, we had our first public cloud uh, system running, 
we dismantled the system afterwards as it was a political uh, clear goal. We want to do a repatriation program once. Mm -hmm. and, um, but uh, let's say the, um, on this blueprint that we have developed there, we are using identical systems now in public cloud. We have a clear, we have added to our architectural framework a more specific a cloud policy. And um, so the results are quite, uh, let's say, we have matured our IAT organization. Let's talk about your uh, second program uh, that you want to share with us, and that is the, uh, the preview uh, system that, uh, that you have created. Uh, and, and that has to do, uh, it's a system, I understand, uh, to manage, to control, and to prevent humanitarian crises uh, around the world. So, can you tell us a little bit what is a humanitarian crisis and, and what's the role of the foreign office in, in, uh, in managing these? Mm -hmm. So I think it's best explained with uh, the former head of the crisis uh, department, uh, Rüdiger König, um, who uh, always uh, mentioned the Ebola moment. So um, he was quite a visionary uh, diplomat who said, um, that during Ebola he realized he wants, um, there must be something with all this data occurring during such a crisis with exponentially um, increasing uh, infectious diseases or uh, as, to put it in a way, all crises are somehow exponentially uh, developing. Yep. There is so much data, there must be something that we can detect upfront that there is some development where we should react, so we are not in a reaction mode, but uh, we can proactively maybe prevent, in an ideal scenario, even a crisis. Mm -hmm. So um, he had this visionary idea, there must be data. Mm -hmm. um, he had a clear, let's say, uh, framework where he said, it must be scientific data. I don't want to use something like uh, Twitter, etc., where I don't know whether the, data's, whether the data is valid. And based on this data, ICT department provide me something so that I can, with uh, all this uh, diplomatic experience, see there is something. Mm -hmm. Something lies in data. Bring it to me so we can understand it. And um, so this is how we uh, got our task uh, preview. And uh, yes, I hope I had have explained it, uh, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. So, and so what you did, you built a data platform and, 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 and a reporting and analysis platform for, uh, for uh, the diplomats so that they can measure, tune, and, 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 and prevent these crises. So talk a little bit about, uh, about the implementation of the project. Mm -hmm. Yes, the implementation of the project um, was quite a culture change. As uh, let's say at the beginning, there were fears. Um, I could, from an ICT perspective, at the first moment not understand, but after a bit of explanation, it was quite obvious. As, um, some perceived it as a way, oh, there is a platform uh, built uh, that will do something with artificial intelligence, something with data, and at the end of the day, we don't need diplomats. And this was not the goal. The goal was uh, to have a decision support system uh, at the end of the day, or a, a business support system, where we, from data, diplomats have a better uh, chance to analyze based on data, reliable data. Um, so this cultural change, um, the uh, department itself uh, uh, tackled, and 
they had to do a lot of, um, let's say, discussions, explanatory work, etc. pp. This was one part. The other part was, um, at the time, uh, Rudiger had this visionary idea. A lot of persons were thinking about, let's do something with uh, a data platform, and um, but they were not as mature as his idea. So, from ICT perspective, we decided there is something coming. There is, uh, uh, it looks like this could be the next big thing we have uh, to deal with. Yeah. So from the beginning, we decided we put some additional effort in to not only build uh, the preview platform, but to build a blueprint with a pre preview platform that can be multiplied for any um, IT systems that has to deal with a lot of data. And uh, this platform we called Plane. Mm -hmm. So um, at the beginning, we uh, had the idea to put it only for the foreign office. So within the foreign office, if you have to do something with uh, a lot of data and analyzes, this platform, let's say, is the blueprint. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, afterwards, uh, as the preview was uh, starting to run and producing, um, we um, had a discussion within the Bundesregierung where the national data strategy was put in place. And um, in the national data strategy, um, the plain platform as a blueprint, as mentioned on several occasions, as the platform uh, that shall be used uh, for exact such um, questions to be solved, as it is uh, scalable, it's already, uh, let's say, in place, and you know what you get in a, a quick time, and you don't have to do all this development work again. So this plain system that you developed was um, with the preview uh, program that you did was basically said, well, let's take the extra effort, make it into a platform that can be reused within the foreign uh, foreign office. But then later on was used by uh, by, by other ministries uh, outside foreign office as well, right? Um, it's currently um, uh, partially used. Um, as the data strategy has uh, been set up uh, last year, so it's now in the way to uh, get multiplied. Um, but uh, this uh, multiplication um, is something uh, where we have, uh, let's say, a clear pathway forward. As a typically German uh, administration thing, we have, uh, let's say, some framework programs, um, and in the framework programs, um, there is, uh, for example, a platform, uh, uh, no, a program that will use the platform yeah. to um, have a prediction and analysis platform for political decision making and uh, how uh, things, how based on scientific data, you can make, uh, let's say, um, lawful decisions in a way that they will have the best political effect. Let's talk about your team. Um, let's talk about how IT and, and digital, if that's two different things, I don't know. How is that organized in the, uh, in the foreign office here in Germany? Oh, it's quite organized in, uh, um, I think, good way. We have uh, put together um, a digital department where we have together the uh, IT. Mm -hmm. And we have, um, let's say, all this... Um, fundamental digitalization issues. So how to transform organization, um, 
what are the boundaries, what are our goals. Yeah. And uh, within this department, we are, for example, developing the uh, IT strategy and the digitalization strategy. Okay. So, because it's uh, like uh, they are both linked to each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, in addition, we have, um, let's call it for the sake of the interview, digital ambassadors yeah. in uh, the other departments. Mm -hmm. So, um, we have uh, put during the last three years um, a digitalization agenda on place that is uh, providing a spirit of digitalization means we have to transform the organization into something new, into a next level. Um, so basically it's how it's organized. Yeah. Okay. And I understand that you also have a, a, a rotation in place for your people. Is that correct? Can you talk a bit about that? Yes, uh, for the diplomats there is a classical rotation, so they have uh, to change their uh, job and place um, depending on uh, several uh, factors between every two to every four years. Uh, for the IT uh, department it's not exactly the case, uh, so we have uh, colleagues who are just uh, doing their job for the time they want. But we have also a rotation system as we have uh, around between 50 and 60 persons uh, abroad on several duty stations. Yeah. We have uh, three bigger stations in Pretoria, New York and uh, Singapore. And we have some stations where you are basically uh, a bit in MacGyver mode. You are on your own and you have to solve all the problems in this region. And um, these uh, colleagues have to uh, be under a rotation regime as well. Okay. And so I understand that you're serving 13,000 people around the globe, 240 stations, and the IT team of, uh, to support that is around 350 people, right? Right. Okay. And so what, how would you uh, describe what is fundamentally your role as CIO, CTO in the organization? Um, the fundamental role is... Um on one hand, to put the strategy in place. Mm -hmm. uh, because without a clear strategy where you want to be in uh, seven years, we have now a seven-year strategy, um, you cannot uh, go in the right direction. You need, let's say, a North Star where the whole team is getting uh, to. Yeah. Then we, uh, I put in place, uh, let's say, clear, more clear processes. And... Um, we, for example, developed a, a key performance indicator system um, with the team. So it was not a top-down thing, but, yeah. I, um, but I fostered it together with the team that we should do something like this. And um, we put it in a, in a place that meanwhile all the team colleagues are saying, oh, it's one of the best things we ever did because we can see what we are doing and uh, we can also see how we contribute to uh, the goals. Okay. Um, so I would describe myself in the role as something who is on one hand for the team like a coach uh, in a football game, um, let's say bringing uh, things in the right place. Yeah. On the other hand, also keeping um, or doing all these political things that you have to do um, so that people can do their jobs uh, without uh, having to uh, deal with all those things. Because it's, it can be quite embarrassing. You are doing uh, the whole day uh, your job, you are reaching the project goals, etc. pp but it's not in the right framework. So my role is to provide an environment where the team can work in a really good way. Yeah. 
So you have to provide the, the, the vision and the strategy. You have to make sure that you create a context where your people can be successful. Um, so how would you describe your, I mean, I, I can imagine that these 350 people divided in different uh, teams and so on. How, what's your management style? How do you, how do you organize and, and, uh, your teams and how do you make sure that they are successful? Um, it's, um, it's for sure, uh, let's say, not the most easiest questions that you are raising, um, but the context to uh, give them, let's say, uh, the room for success. It's, um, I, um, I give a lot of empowerment, so I'm very convinced that uh, people have the best working environment if they have a clear goal and they can decide on their own how they can reach the goal. Mm -hmm. For sure, there are in administration always one or two boundaries that you have to respect, but uh, there is a common sense for it. As yeah. uh, we all know, we are working in public administration, so a common sense on this is done. Yeah. Um, the second thing is, um, besides empowerment, um, to provide all the resources they need. So management has to uh, provide resources and if the resources are not provided, to do all the contacts that, let's say, you are not uh, drowning in projects that you are not able to fulfill with such a team. Um, and you have to uh, provide uh, the political context uh, in a way that um, there is um, a purpose. Uh, for sure, there is always a self-purpose uh, in foreign office. As at the end of the day, we are somehow um, um, we have always a mission to provide, let's say, a stable, peaceful, democratic earth, and you are contributing to it um, with uh, providing diplomats all the tools they need. But uh, sometimes you have to break it down onto concrete, uh, measurable uh, goals. Okay. Now. One uh, part of your role is to be an excellent manager and make sure that people have the context where they can be successful and that you create and nurture uh, successful teams. On the other hand, um, a, a great CIO, great CTO is also a great leader, needs to be a, a good leader. So how would you describe your leadership style? And maybe a good way to ask the question is, uh, how would the people around you describe your leadership style? What, what do you think they they, they uh, say about you when you're not around? I think um, they say that uh, I have sometimes visions uh, that uh, we need to uh, set up. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, a part of this is a visionary uh, leader style. And on the other hand, uh, it's quite, um, on the same, I'm a bit, uh, let's say, uh, two coins of the middle. Mm -hmm. um, it's, um, that uh, at any moment, if uh, the team members are requiring it, um, I'm going deep down to the problem. So I have no, let's say, I have a hands-on approach mm -hmm. and uh, I like to be with my people. So um, if there is, uh, let's say, somewhere a problem and I have an absolutely open door um, and somebody wants to talk uh, to me about a very specific technical problem that I'm not the best expert, most of the time he or she is, mm -hmm. um, then um, I'm taking the time also to uh, get, um, let's say, the, the knowledge about it and to have a good discussion or uh, to uh, provide the room for a discussion with external experts so we can together come to an informed decision. Yeah. And um, if there is, let's say, um, uh, something left where my team member says, this would be the decision, 
but I need management to decide because it's up above, high above my pay grade or I don't want to take the decision, I take the decision for them so they can concentrate on their work. I think this is somehow how they will describe me. Okay. And, and how easy is it to attract top talent? I mean, in, in government, it's not necessarily for, uh, for all people the most attractive working environment. So how do you make sure that you have the right number of excellent people in, uh, in your team? For sure, it's hard to attract uh, people during this time. If anybody wants to do digitalization, um, it's a purpose. Uh, in my opinion, it's a purpose that is attracting. Um, I'm always talking to our new colleagues when they are just arriving and I'm talking to them when they have uh, worked with us for half, for half a year or a year. Yeah. Uh, so we have, let's say, a good purpose with uh, the Office of Foreign Affairs. Um, and um, I think you can see it on uh, one key performance indicator. Sometimes also we have people who are leaving. Um, but um, there is a high uh, rate of persons who are leaving us and after uh, some years they just come back to us as uh, we have a good team spirit. Mm -hmm. So we ask them for sure, why did you come back? Uh, it's a good team spirit and um, we have an environment where you can uh, work towards goals. So you, have, uh, you can basically uh, work on a purpose, you are empowered and uh, we are uh, the best team worldwide, I call us. <laughs> so, Sven, what I wanted to know is, what is it that really drives you in, in your work? When is it at the end of the day, the end of the week, you say, well, this was really, this was really a great week. What must have happened then? Ah, uh, it's easy to, to answer, to be honest. Um, what really drives me, um, as I said at the beginning of the interview, I'm an absolutely public sector guy, so I'm convinced that the um, public sector needs to work. And uh, we have, uh, let's say, a purpose and uh, we have a responsibility that our citizens uh, can always rely on a public sector and that it's working efficiently and effective, yeah. not just uh, burning taxpayers' money. So for me, it's a good week. Uh, when I just have contributed to this goal, that we were just that we are just a bit more efficient and effective, that we have met as with the uh, repatriation program, the demands of our citizens worldwide, uh, what they can expect from us, yeah. and um, if we have made public administration again a bit more uh, like a private sector entity, as the difference is not so big in my opinion. Um, it's just whether you are taking, let's say, the management decision to fulfill the framework and uh, take informed decisions and to take some risks. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit more about, we talked about your management style, your leadership style, what drives it. Let's talk a little bit more about your personality. Mm -hmm. And uh, in these interviews, we use the MBTI personality uh, types as a, as a common thread to, uh, to talk about people's personality and you shared with us that you are in MBTI terms an ESTP. So you're more extroverted, observant, thinking and, and have a more prospecting personality. And I'm going to read here that people with your personal, uh, personality type that tend to be energetic, uh, action-oriented, easily navigating whatever is in front of them and their love uncovering life's opportunities, whether socializing with others 
or in more personal pursuits. Mm -hmm. Does that resonate with you? I think so, yes. <laughs> now let's talk about strengths and weaknesses. Uh, it's one of my favorite parts of these discussions always. Typically people with your personality type, they uh, tend to be very bold, they tend to be rational, practical, original, perceptive, direct, sociable. Do you fit all these, these, these uh, characteristics? Um, I have fit them. Um, let's say there was a learning curve behind. Uh, when I was, uh, let's say, a younger leader. Uh, or You're still younger, Sven. <laughs> or in my first leadership roles, for sure, there were some, let's say, uh, management decisions I took then that I would not uh, take today. And there were also some, let's say, uh, some way of uh, manage or interacting with people um, that uh, describes the downsides of this personality type. Um, and um, with the learning curve and with, uh, let's say, all the teams, um, I uh, have become, I think, uh, better aware of it and uh, being better interacting with the teams. Um, I think what was quite helpful, uh, it's with all personalities, you have downside, you have uh, two sides of the, uh, let's say, the personality. Um, I think you have to be perceptive, uh, you have to be self-reflexive, and uh, at the end of the day, you have to be a failure culture to yourself or to establish a failure culture to yourself. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was helpful for me was um, that uh, after my biggest failure project, uh, I just realized, okay, there is not everything ideal in this world, and you are also not ideal in this world. You have uh, to establish uh, an environment in the team where we can talk to each other, not, yeah. not over each other, and this was a breakthrough. So since then, uh, things are going in teams quite smooth, I think. Okay. Now, let's talk a bit about people with your personality type sometimes have the following weaknesses. They can be insensitive, they can sometimes take too many risks, sometimes unstructured, they miss, uh, may miss the bigger picture, uh, or they can be very impatient. So which one of these would you pick where you recognize yourself and, and, and how are you developing in that area? Uh, I'm quite impatient and this is something I will never overcome because I want <laughs> to get things done. Um, uh, at the end of the day, I have decided for myself after uh, putting a lot of efforts to be more patient, um, mm. that I have to uh, accept it now. Okay. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, um, as I have accepted it, I'm just talking about it. So uh, let's say it's a 24 hours repatriation program. We started today. I'm, I'm the impatient guy here. Um, so um, if we have uh, during the next 24 hours on one or two uh, occasions, maybe you have the feeling that I put the wrong tone into it because it I'm coming over some bit of impatient, just tell it to me. Yeah? Say it directly to my head and uh, it's not an offense. Uh, I know that this is my weakness um, and we need to work as a team. And at the end of the day, it's a moment where you are just uh, putting it on the table. Normally it does never happen. And if it happens, somebody says, hey, you told, uh, you may be some, a bit impatient on sometimes. It's not the case. Okay. Let's talk a bit about the, the values that drive, uh, that drive you in your life, your core values. I mean, you have uh, three children, sm uh, smaller children still, seven, 10, 12 years old. Um, what are the values that you are passing on to your children? With which core values do you want to uh, see them grow up? Mm. 
it's easy to answer. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, I'm convinced uh, European citizen. So um, I want them uh, to be convinced uh, lovers of multilateralism. Mm -hmm. I want them um, that they realize uh, that uh, democracy, uh, that a democratic uh, government is the best thing uh, they can have to grow up in. Um, so we have quite a established a discussion culture at home and um, to foster this democratic uh, process and uh, the core values on it. Uh, what already leads, let's say, uh, also to some downsides, uh, as uh, all my children are discussing with me from the very beginning, um, and um, to foster democratic processes, you have also to let them win if they have a good argumentation line. So um, this is quite the core value I like to uh, okay. give. In in your, I mean, you're still, like I mentioned, still very young, you're very successful at a young age, and so, but in your career, who are the key figures? Who are the people that, that you have learned from that were decisive in, in, in your thinking, in your development, or in general? Who are the, the mentors in your life? Uh, there are quite a few, and they have a broad variety. So my first mentor, I would say, was Willy. Willy, uh, I worked at the uh, very beginning of my life uh, at the building uh, sector, parallel to going to school mm -hmm. to earn some yeah. money. and. Uh, he was quite an entrepreneur, so um, he brought me at the very beginning uh, into a thinking that uh, you need always to be disciplined, you need to have uh, a clear, let's say, North Star where you have to head, and you need to be efficient and effective in terms of money, otherwise you will fail. Okay. So this was, uh, let's Good say, <laughs> the first one. Then, um, I had with uh, Thomas Schmidt uh, in the public sector uh, a mentor who clearly gave me direction that uh, in between administration and politics um, there is something in between that you, is hard to describe but you have to master it if you want to be a successful leader in the public sector. Mm -hmm. and. Um, he gave me, let's say, uh, this uh, learning and uh, he gave me, for sure, some tools to scope with this. And um, also, um, I had uh, a lot of learnings from um, Birgit Zetekorn. Uh, she was um, head of uh, one of the offices I worked for. as uh, She was very well structured and gave me, let's say, the key issues in, let's say, environments where you have a lot of stakeholders, like a multi-headed hitra who want all different things um, and um, to be assertive mm -hmm. um, but in a very constructive way. Okay, great people. So do you have a personal mantra, something that helps you with saying uh, that uh, if you have to make a decision or uh, something like that? Um, yes, I have one mantra, but it's basically one, uh, you can reduce it, be disciplined. Be disciplined? Yes. Okay. So, Sven, what I would like to know is, what was the, the best thing that ever happened to you in your life? The best thing? Oh, for sure, uh, when I uh, got in touch with my um, then girlfriend, today wife, um, because uh, this was, for me, let's say, the really best thing in my life. Okay. 
That was a giveaway, but now let's talk about the interesting part. What was, and if you want to share it, what was one of maybe one of the worst things in your life that happened to you? And how did you overcome that? And, and what did you learn from it? I don't know whether it's the worst thing that happened in my life, mm -hmm. but I'd say it's a thing that, is, uh, that uh, has um, uh, structured me, my thinking uh, related to business a lot. Um, in the German system, um, for functioneers, there is, uh, let's say, a clear cut uh, between bachelor and master's degree. Okay. Uh, I did not realize it at the beginning of my uh, career. As it was written everywhere, but I, I did not take the time to read it, so I was a bit impatient. Uh, and uh, when I was, uh, when I finalized my bachelor, um, I realized, okay, there is, let's say, a level you can reach, and then there is, uh, it's finished. Um, and um, so I took uh, a decision uh, to, let's say, change things. And I did uh, my master's studies uh, parallel to my job. Mm -hmm. So um, I uh, just started in the morning at four o'clock, uh, did my studies uh, until uh, seven. Then I went to my work, uh, worked 12 hours, and then uh, I go. I went back to desk uh, until uh, midnight. So I slept basically for one and a half year, four hours a night, and it worked quite well. So I was successful uh, in uh, my professional things and in studies. And um, so this was something uh, that has, let's say, uh, put uh, a framework. Uh, on how I handle things, I think. Okay, but that's not a, a bad thing that happened to you. That's a good thing that happened to you. I know. I was, I was really pissed when I realized that uh, I had an academic degree that was worth, let's say, only half of it. Okay. That, okay. Now I understand. Good. So, one of my favorite questions as well in uh, in these interviews is: um, we all have success in our careers and in our lives. We also also have failures. So in, in your professional life, could you tell us which was your most brilliant failure and, and, and what you learned from it? Yes, this I can do. <laughs> I was once, uh, I was several times in charge to put in place a key performance indicator system. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I did the first time, uh, I was quite, uh, let's say, in one of my first leadership positions. This was what I mentioned uh, before. and. Uh, I did it according to the books and I did it according to my personality. Okay, we do a plan and we just execute the plan and everything has to work afterwards. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a complete disaster. Okay. <laughs> so there was no acceptance for it. Um, it was not really tackling the problem. Uh, it was not, let's say, a buy-in from all the persons who were involved. So it, the system, um, let's say, we put a lot of, I put a lot of effort in, in designing it. I put a lot of effort in, in putting it into place. But I not in the change management and the politics and so on, yeah. yeah I did not, uh, it was not able to bring it uh, into a working mode. So it was, let's say, dismantled, canceled. <laughs> and um, afterwards, I have learned personally a lot. So meanwhile, when I have to introduce a key performance indicator system, I normally start with, uh, you are so lucky. Uh, I had a complete disaster bringing into in this uh, first task to bring in a key performance indicator system, yep. having done all wrong what you can done wrong. So you can now have a benefit from, uh, let's say, all the uh, bad things that happened in the first project. Okay. Now, if you look at, at back at your young life and, and, and your career, your profession, what is that you're most grateful for? 
what I'm most grateful for. Um, to be honest, to have uh, such amazing opportunities and, uh, see, and on two sides or on two, from two points of view. One point of view, to have such uh, great opportunities to work with uh, a lot of brilliant people and uh, brilliant colleagues who have taught me a lot. There was, for example, uh, Francis who uh, talked with me or brought me a lot of experience on uh, nuclear reactors. I did not need nuclear reactors, but the management style and how we went to things uh, was quite amazing. So let's say the variety of persons I was able to meet during uh, my professional life, um, therefore I'm really grateful. And also the variety of uh, projects. So from fusion reactor uh, to digitalization, um, then I had some other uh, little things uh, I, I was able to tackle was quite nice and um, there was always uh, a team or there were always teams uh, involved um, where you uh, had really a great team spirit and uh, for this I'm really grateful. So you're grateful that you had quite a lot of opportunities but at the same time I mean you did it and you took the opportunities and you made a successful uh, career and, and already on, on your young age you have um, this role as CIO, CTO in the foreign office. Now People that are watching these interviews, uh, many of them are young professionals, ambitious, that also want to make a career in, in, in public sector, in private sector. What would the advice be uh, to young professionals that also want to become CIO, CTO? I would basically give three advices. Mm -hmm. um, one is take responsibilities. Uh, you can only be a leader if you are taking responsibilities. Do not delegate them. Um, below your level, do not delegate them up your level, it's you, it's your role, you have to fulfill the role, you have to take the responsibility. Yeah. Um, the second advice is decide. If you have responsibility, you have to decide and you have to make informed decisions, not prolonging decisions uh, like, oh, I need to decide next week or um, I need some time in addition, no. Take all the information that you need and put a moment where you have to decide and communicate this moment. And uh, this brings you to, me to the last advice, it's uh, empower your team because to make informed decisions you need to trust your team and you need to be able to trust your team blindly. You are part of the team. On one hand you are in a kind of a leadership role, mm -hmm. on the other hand you are just an equal member of the team and only if you are able to bring this together you are let's say in a way uh, that you have a holistic leadership approach. And if the team runs with you, you can run anywhere. Okay. And on that note, Sven, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your experiences, your visions, um, uh, and, and, and your insights on the different programs that you have led. So uh, thank you so much for this interview. Thank you, Lil Hendrik. It was a pleasure. <laughs>